Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 401, PAX Unplugged 2022 Hotness. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode, but especially our new backer, Drew Nelson. Thanks so much, Drew. You rock, my friend. All right, everyone. We are so glad to be back with you. And as you could hear a little bit on the horse side, because Anthony and I just spent several days at PAX Unplugged 2022 in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. It's it, we, we don't go as many cons as we used to. So when we go now, it's just like more physically exhausting, right? <laughs> but in the best possible way. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just you get home and you're like, whoa, I'm not, I'm not in con shape, right? I'm not... Not used to the slow walking on concrete or the uh, the talking for three days, yelling over the din. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting just general life concept. It's like now when you go to the cons, especially PAX has these bare concrete floors, Terrible. which don't seem to be a problem because you walk on concrete in city streets. And yet somehow they're they're more like energy absorbent. So the more you walk, the more you feel like yourself is like gravitationally being pulled into the floor which is not fun (laughs) but i i did as i was carrying many games and i was walking many miles i was like i was glad that i had gone to the gym and was going to the gym and i was like and after the con i was like i need to go back to the gym (laughs) this is just this is a thing (laughs) this is this is much harder than it should be oh my gosh (laughs) what are we doing (laughs) Especially when there's so few bags out there. I mean, that's just generally most cons. They, they don't want to give you more bags and bags and bags. So at this point, you're just kind of walking around. You're just like, how can I carry these awkwardly shaped cubes and uh, pentagons and rectangles and octagons? Because, you know, board game publishers try to be very unique and creative. And they're like, we can make our games in any shape and size. And you're like, please don't. <laughs> So don't stop doing that. <laughs> not a not a fun thing. And I, I just and I mentioned I think the last episode recently moved. It's just it's always weird. I mean, it's awkward to they're awkward to carry because the games the stuff might shift in the box. Sometimes the box is big and heavy. Sometimes it's big and light. Sometimes it's small and heavy. Sometimes it's small, just all kind of crazy things. So it becomes a iron person competition of just trying to carry board games through that whole convention hall. So. We struggle, we get pumped, we pick up things, we put things down, you know, bodybuilders have nothing on us, Anthony. Uh, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's right. And, and I always do this thing, like Friday morning, I'll be like, we'll walk in and I'll, and I'll like within five minutes, I'll be like, ooh, that's cool. And I'll buy it. And I'm like, I have to carry this for 10 hours. <laughs> uh, yeah. 10 hours. <laughs> Dude Imperium box for 10 hours. Jeez. Uh, and then, you know, you see it there the next day. You're like, oh, I could have bought it later. <laughs> oh, you never know what these conventions. Mm-mm. So, yes, we were at PAX Unplugged 2022. It is a fun and fantastical board game convention Friday, Saturday, Sunday. If you did not attend or if you did attend, we're going to talk about all that kind of fun stuff. If you did not attend, check out. I put a whole post on Facebook that has every booth in in picture format until facebook was like yeah i I think 80 pictures is enough so there might be a couple that didn't make the cut but we'll we'll circle back around to those 
at a later point. But it should give you an idea of what games were at the convention, what was happening, the sites, the scenes, the people. And again, tends to be one of our favorite cons over the years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a blast. It's I mean, and I don't just say that because I live six miles away and <laughs> don't have to pay for a hotel. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. And like this year, my family came in on Sunday and my kids are finally old enough that, you know, they're not in strollers. They're not crying. They're not hungry constantly. You know, we walked around and we played games, which is really, really cool. Like if you're a parent out there and you have children who are a little bit older, you know what this feels like. And if they're a little bit younger, let me just say it, it you'll get there. It's coming. <laughs> Promise. And it'll be great. And then they'll be really stressed because they're not going to get enough, not going to have enough time to play all the games, which is like, oh, I understand. I understand the feeling, hon. It's okay. <laughs> that's <laughs> we'll literally the get. feeling. That's literally the feeling of every con. You, you just come out and you're like, I don't know. I, I, I went in, there was things, I saw colors, there was pieces, and then I got out and I feel like I didn't do anything, but I did things. I'm not sure what happened. Like, it's just spun around it's pretty so quickly. It's annoying. Yeah. Like, yeah. and then like the morning after, this morning, I was looking at the list for the podcast. I'm like, we played like 15 games, but <laughs> it doesn't feel like we played anything because then everybody else is like, well, did you play this? Did you play this? Did you play this? I'm like, no, we didn't play any of those. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's impossible to see everything. It's only three days. And, yeah, you know, we do our best for all of you and hopefully, you know, we, we can help you out there with some future purchases. But mm-hmm. uh, it's a blast. It's a lot of fun. As you know, we say every year, Philadelphia is great because it's close to everything, right? You don't have to walk halfway across sure. a very flat city to find something to eat. You just go across the street. There's a nice market there. You can go to the city hall with the Christmas market mm-hmm. um, and the carousel and the Ferris wheel and. Yeah, it's, it's a good time. Yeah, and, and again, because the city is so wonderfully compact and there's so many choices right outside the convention hall to stay at a hotel or to eat food or to see things, you get to run into people you would never think. And we got to meet so many of our listeners and friends out there who listen to the podcast. So this is me waving. You can't, you can't see it. It's one of those audio kind of problems, but I'm, I'm doing the waving thing. And again, there's so many of you, I, I I don't want to miss anybody, but obviously even on Thursday, Anthony, we ran into, and I'll keep it like just general in case they don't want to be announced as far as names are concerned, but a certain ER doctor and friend that we ran into on Thursday. So it just goes to show how fantastical board gaming can be that, you know, you get to build a wonderful community and you get to see people out there in the real world, which is so much fun. Yeah, it was really cool. We were walking down the street, had our masks down because we'd just eaten and we were outside. And they like they shouted us down from like <laughs> half a block away. It was really cool. Yeah. You know, they were they'd just gotten in from Wisconsin of all places. Yes. So we, we saw them a couple more times over the weekend. We did. And, uh, hope they had a good time. Yeah. It it was great. And again, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about those, you know, the people we met along the way. Again, there's just obviously too many people as we kind of walked through and it was just, it was fantastic. And we'll talk more next week about the plans that we had for this week, because that falls into next week's episode. So hold on, because we have more to say about packs, but from a different angle. So next week's episode, a little bit of a tease preview. I think there's only two listeners out there who actually know what I'm talking about, but we got some really cool stuff coming up next week. So Anthony, yeah. we went to packs. It was fun. We got to meet people. We got to play games. We got to do things. 
We got to go walk around and question our existence as human beings and push our bodies to the max because, you know, board gaming, right? Yeah, it's not a good con unless you've skipped at least two meals <laughs> and <true>. gotten <laughs> incredibly dehydrated at least once and your back is in pain by the end. And yet you're still smiling ear to ear <laughs> when it's time to go home. What about pa- so this PAX? We and we talk about this every year. PAX doesn't release numbers. What did you think about the attendance and the activity for the for the convention? Yeah, it's it's a weird flow. I feel like I, I feel like there are not a ton of people, at least not this year, who came in with three day passes, right? So Friday was moderately busy but not crazy somebody even asked me like in the middle of the day is like is it busy in there and i'm like it's fine it's not terrible like we were able to talk to people get in for demos it was not we weren't bumping into people walking around saturday was crazy which tends to be the case when you have like one day past people like that's the day they're gonna come so saturday was by far the busiest day it was hard to find tables it was hard to find games and sunday was actually fairly light Right. It's the designated family day. That's the day my family came in because you can get Mm -hmm. discounted children's passes. And we really didn't see a lot of kids. Honestly, I feel like I saw more kids on Friday and Saturday. And PAX does this thing. We've mentioned it before. They stay up until six Mm -hmm. in the expo hall. All the other conventions close at four. So I think all the gamers know that because by like three o'clock, the place was just emptying out. It was it was very thin. Which is not necessarily a bad thing because then, you know, the publishers get a chance to kind of unwind and pack up and get ready to go. But it was a, it was an interesting flow. I feel like it was maybe a little more even in previous years. This one, it was like, you know, kind of in the middle on Friday, very busy Saturday and pretty light on Sunday. Yeah. And even speaking to some of the publishers, they said, again, it depends on who you talk to, that yeah. Friday was lighter on the purchasing side than they had seen in previous years. Saturday was packed right saturday which is usually the busiest day of the con this was pretty heavy even for that and then as you mentioned anthony sunday was definitely on the lighter side towards the end of the day and i know a lot of the publishers don't generally like the six o'clock end time like they can't break down before that but it's still nice to see them out there because it's still part of the event for the sunday people right if you if you showed up on sunday and like they're breaking down at three o'clock it's just like oof that's kind of rough yeah so we appreciate all the publishers, designers, every part of those crews out there, especially all the volunteers at Talk Games, Showed Off Games. It's a lot of work. It's an incredible amount of standing, especially for those, you know, workers out there that don't have the nice plush kind of bouncy floors, because I can tell that they feel it because I know we feel it just walking around nice. the con. So thank you to everyone. Thank you to Pax Unplugged. Thank you to all the security, all the staff, all the support throughout the time. It was a very, very great con. So, Anthony, with that said, let's actually talk about the con for now. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why don't you start us off? All right. So, we played a bunch of stuff. Uh, and, you know, we did this last year. We're going to go through, like, the games that we played and had a chance to get hands-on with. These are not formal reviews because, again, we played them once in a convention center, <laughs> which sure. is... You know, not the ideal setting to play a game, and you never know if the rules are 100% right, but we can give you our general impressions. Mm-hmm. And then we have a list of other cool stuff that we saw or demoed or engaged with in some other way. Some of these things we picked up or otherwise. So the first game on the list that we played um, is one that was kind of on the list that we wanted to hit when we got there. And we got lucky enough because it was very popular. 
is that uh friend of the show andrew my friend from back in pittsburgh was visiting and they were playing and so we came over they were finishing up we're like cool we're gonna just camp here and then take over the table when you're done <laughs> and that was atiwa the new uve rosenberg game uh this is a game in which you are uh, building out villages and exploring land around your opening village and then you're trying to live in harmony with the bats mm. so by default you have all these villagers on these tiles as you purchase the tiles and they are not trained meaning that they don't know how to live with bats they don't live with nature they go mining with their spare time and then you can train them and then the bats can live in the house with them and they stop mining and so you don't get as much pollution on your cards which is one of the mechanics here uh, so it has a lot in common with, you know, a lot of his other games. You know, there's worker placement, of course. There's a tableau that you're building out. You're putting little wood pieces onto your player spaces, and sometimes you're spending them to do things. But it also has some interesting new mechanics with this whole idea of, like, conservation and ecology and how to keep that in mind. We We had this conversation after we played it of... It's interesting because Uwe Rosenberg has been making farming games for 15 years that he's now looking at how to integrate this idea of sustainability into these games, right? Because in this game, like, you could theoretically, you will lose, but you could theoretically just not build for the bats, right? And maybe you wouldn't even lose. I don't know, because I haven't tried it. <laughs> but you could just plant trees and grow fruit and get all your villagers and hopefully you're good, right? Get all your goats and your wild animals out there. But, you know, there's a giant bat on the cover of the box. You want to have bats on your board. They're worth points at the end of the game. You get less pollution if you train the families so that they don't go mining. And it's it's an interesting push-your-luck mechanic with the training of the families because you have to spend actions to do it. You're using valuable actions, of which you don't have too many, to train those families. And when they go mining, there's a chance you get extra gold from it. But there's also a chance you get no gold, and the pollution fills up spaces on your board. So. That's the thing I found most interesting about the game. As a Rosenberg, as a game, it's fine, right? It's mm -hmm. It does a lot of the things we're used to. It does a lot of things that are, you know, have been tried and true in a lot of his other games. I would say it's solidly, like, middle of the pack amongst all of the, uh, the Rosenbergs I've played. You know, first impressions. I want to play it a couple more times. Sure. But the really interesting thing here is that whole concept of sustainability in the farming game you know in this yeah. building up of a game i would love to see like an expansion like that for agricola or caverna where you have to sure. think about these things that'd be really cool yeah i think obviously his games have always been smart and again i'm not too sure off the top of my head about the timeline but the idea of paying or feeding your workers or feeding your family i i think is very much an uve kind of concept so the inclusion of the pollution here is, I wouldn't say it's innovative because we've seen it in so many other games. I guess, you know, Manhattan Project Energy Empire is the one I love because it does almost the identical thing where you're getting resources and then you have to put pollution on the board, like on the physical board over the landscape. So I was like, oh, I've seen that mechanic before. That's pretty fantastic. As as far as like you said, as far as the Nuve game is concerned, it's it felt like medium of his pack, medium of his weight. It the the challenging part to this is the innovative thematic part of it, which is everything in nature 
including us, because we are part of nature, is interconnected. Mm -hmm. So when you try to play the game, you're looking, you know, when you play any kind of Euro game, you're like, oh, I have to do this, to do this, to do this. This game is very much, you know, a spiral, right? Like, at all points, everything has to be working, like, as you mentioned with the bats, right? So you need the bats, you need the fruit, and you need the trees. So... If the bats have the fruits, you, you make the trees, but you need the trees to have the fruits. <laughs> it's just like, and yep. the the main kind of player board that you have that you're uncovering, each of those different items gives you the other item. So taking fruits off gives you bats, right? So like, again, it's it's all interconnected so deeply that you have to, I guess, either see the game played or run through it. And then go, oh, okay, so that's what that is. Now let's just try to, you know, manage on the board. And then again, very much like Feast for Odin, you're taking these additional tiles that are additional parts of villages or forest areas, a whole bunch of different interesting areas. They're not negative points, but they're opportunities for you to grow. And you do need to grow because those different plots of land are worth a lot of points. I think probably a vast majority of points just based on that. Yeah. Which is interesting too, because you can get the, like the ones that are worth points co- are expensive. They cost yes. gold and, and wood, which you have to basically cut down your trees to build the, the villages, mm-hmm. right? Thematically. But you can also just kind of go out into the wilderness and find new land. And those ones don't have villages. So you can't place more people there, which is the most valuable place you can have. And those tiles are worth somewhere between negative five and one point. Sure. So they're not good. They have a lot of space to put things. Yeah. But they're not good for your scoring purposes. You kind of have to balance the two. You do need to buy the ones with villages or you can't put out your villages, of which you have 13 to place. So like, I think I had half and half. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the person who won the game, they had five and three they had paid for five and they got three of the cheap ones yeah, so shout out to jen and yeah, Deb. it seems like a good balance like you like the game is about balance it's really what it is which i find really fascinating from a design perspective mm-hmm. yeah no we we played a four-player game john and deb played with us and it it was an interesting dynamic game and a unique theme so i, I think this will probably be sticking around a bit yeah all right uh next on the list we played uh, a game from Mac Gertz called Crossing Oceans. Um, this was previously called Transatlantic 2 because it's a re-implementation of his earlier game, Transatlantic. And the Revenge. The Revenge, yeah. <laughs> more more Transatlantic. <laughs> more Transatlantic. The, the Transatlantic Strikes Back? I don't, yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> the Transatlantic game. That's right. So it's, if you've played Transatlantic, you know it was like, you get boats, you get ships, and you kind of cycle them constantly, and you're just building up this tableau of, of different ships. This is basically that, but there's a map in it, and the, the rondelle's a little more distinct. There's a map of the world, there's different locations connected to ports, you place ships on those ports, and then there's a rondelle where you move around, and you can buy new ships, you can get income from a variety of different ways, you can run your ships across the ocean, uh, you can supply them with coal, which allows them to do stuff. And that's more or less it. It's like any Matt Gertz game. It's like four pages of rules. It's fairly simple mechanically. It takes like 10 minutes to teach it. And then the complexity comes out in the gameplay. The problem with this one, which is very similar to the problem I had with Transatlantic, is that 
it's a little too long for what's there. It's not complex. Like it builds for a while and then it kind of plateaus and then you still have to play for another 40 minutes. <laughs> which, which is the exact conversation we had while we were playing. And it's like, when is this over? It's like, oh, when we buy all the rest of these ships. Like when we buy all those ships? <sighs> okay. <laughs> and that's what it was. It was just back and forth. I bought some more ships. I placed some more ships. I bought some more. And you can only place one ship per turn. You know, and the yeah. ship market cycles quickly. Like, I think he as a designer is aware that the game drags a little bit. So anytime anybody, if you buy one ship, you still remove two more from the market. You always mm-hmm. clear three. You can buy up to three, but you always clear three. So we had a giant discard pile of ships. But <laughs> we had a graveyard of ships at the end yeah. of the game. Just like so many ships. So, you know, we played it two player. I don't know if that's ideal for the game. It plays two to four. Because, like, in that case, I won because I got a really fast ship out in the Atlantic. And I just kept getting the blue ribbons for, like, four turns in a row. Mm-hmm. Before a faster ship even came into the market for somebody to run. And so I was like, okay, well, that's a bunch of points right there that you, nobody can compete with now. I don't know. It's an interesting mechanic. I thought it was an interesting mechanic. I thought it was interesting in Transatlantic. I just think the game kind of should end in the middle <laughs> and then it just it just goes too long it's too long it's not even a long game it's just there's too much of it it's just cycle and repeat yeah the game is primarily about as you mentioned just purchasing ships so the rondelle is just very much like hey how do you want to get money like there's better ways to get money like you could it's it could be the the cargo it could be the region it just it's just like get money, buy ships, replace other people's ships, get money, buy ships, replace other people's ships. And that was primarily it. And again, that was the challenge about the game. Like everything here as a mechanic was fine. I didn't I didn't have a problem with it whatsoever. Once we kind of got it out there, we were like, oh, okay. I did think it was a little odd that you mentioned about the blue ribbons because the other buildings and locations that you could build at that was limited. Like you, that you just ran out of resources. So you couldn't, you couldn't max out on all those other things where the blue ribbon was infinite. You could, you could do it without worrying about resources, but I really wish the, I really wish the mechanic here lent itself to something else because it was a wash, rinse, repeat thing so long. And I was just like, but, but okay, I get it. Good mechanic, but, I would like it to mean something. Like you said, I don't even know if it builds enough. Like you buy more expensive ships, but it it doesn't, the board, the board, the game state, the board state doesn't really change that much. It's just different ships are out there and you get the houses out there. But like, can I ship something in particular? Can I control, you know, can I dominate control? Can I win a region? Like, I just wish there was something more to it because it did go very long. And I was, I was honestly bored at some point. I was just like, yeah. Yeah. It's it's frustrating. I was annoyed because that first game had a lot of potential and I was like, Oh, there's cool mechanics here. Yeah. And I like his rondelles, but it's boring. And this game is also boring. So, yeah. I mean, if he could release some sort of expansion that, purchasing the ships meant something more than just more opportunity for more money to buy more ships like it's gotta it's gotta it's gotta reach a new level it's gotta go higher for the length if it was a short if it was half the half the time then yeah fine 
but yeah, <laughs> we're looking at the ships that we have to finish. I'm like, I don't want to do this. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> <Like, laughs> again, yeah, you're it, just purchasing money, and you know, yeah, can I sail the ship. Rinse and repeat, and rinse and repeat. You're not building anything because you build up the oceans; they're full. Yeah, and then you start replacing them. That's all. You're not moving the ships. You're not loading stuff on the ships and dropping stuff off. You're not, you know, doing anything particularly cool or fun. Yeah. You know, there's not storms or things that take the ships down. There, There's none of that kind of stuff. So, but uh, mechanically good. Just overstood its welcome. So. <sighs> All right. So that's Crashing Oceans. A little disappointing. Again, not a full review, but I, I we got the gist. <laughs> so... <laughs> Next up, we have Rebuilding Seattle. This is a... It's not out yet, so you can't buy this. But it's coming out in January. Uh, and it's coming from WizKids. So, you know, their games kind of always just showed up out, out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> well, they do have a wizard on, on staff, to be fair. Yeah, and no marketing team. So, <laughs> so this is a tile placement game. It's a city builder. It's about rebuilding Seattle after the great earthquake that destroyed it in 1889 or great fire i'm sorry that destroyed it in 1889 i'm originally from seattle so i was very excited to play this because i'm like i love seattle i love city builders i love polyominoes boom this game will be perfect and sometimes when that happens you're like this game will be perfect it's not you're like ah boo but this game really was quite good (laughs) so in the game on your turn you're going to buy a card from the market Mm-hmm. And the card will have some tile on it, some polyomino that you'll place in your tableau and some other ability. So you might move up on one of the tracks that'll help you with scoring. You might gain some end game scoring ability, some profit phase ability, something. You're building a tableau of cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're not just building your puzzle. It's not just a tile drafting game. It's also a tableau builder, uh, like a separate card tableau builder. And then there is a, a string of uh, objective cards that people can claim at any time in the round. You don't have to do anything before you claim them. You just might want to wait until they're worth more. So they're mm. like, they're scoring cards for each of the three tracks. There's a a card that if you have a lot of universities, you can kind of clear out some of your population. There's a card for the transportation that allows you to get new tiles and grow the land for your city, make it bigger for placing of polyominoes. And the goal here is you have three little trackers for the different types of buildings. So you have retail and restaurants um, and commercial. And they move up on this like personal scoring type of thing you have in front of you. But you want to get them as close as you can to the population marker, which automatically goes up each round. Because if the closer they are, when you trigger one of those scoring cards, the more you'll get from it. If it's too far away, you get nothing from it. So you really have to like manage that and there's a bunch of ways to manage that you can bring those markers up which is kind of hard or you can bring your population down was which is interesting. and that was your strategy chris with all yes. the was it you just yes. built a big giant university <laughs> and you're graduating everybody and sending them out in the world so. well to be fair that was also my player board was yeah. was built towards that too which honestly i didn't really notice too much because it, again this is not a, too much of a problem with the graphic design because it, it kind of somewhat makes sense but like the law section is it just doesn't pop and everything else in the game really pops right so you're like oh and that's the thing i could do and you look at it you're like oh 
that works really well with the university system. I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 yeah, not to, I mean, jump in here. Cause I, I was amazingly impressed by this game and mm-hmm. I, I am as, as we have spoken many times, as people know, I am not a fan of the whole polyomino kind of no. situation <laughs> for many reasons. Uh, eventually I will release a book on it, but not right now. I, I, it's just, it's just too raw for me, but the polyomino thing is not punitive here so much and the shapes are not crazy and you, you do get to expand. So you don't have to worry about like, Oh, that's a really good piece. I could buy it, but then I can't place it or it's going to intrude upon something else. So everything was nicely managed and tightly placed. And at no time did I feel like, Oh, this feels overwhelming and problematic at some point. Like everything was intelligently designed. Yeah, it's it's a really clever, tight, fun game, right? It's not like one of the problems with polyomino games is they tend to be a little flat, right? I like them. I like the puzzle of it, but they tend to be flat of like you take a tile, you place a tile, you take a tile, you place a tile. Like there needs to be something more to it. Yes. Here, the taking of tiles and the placing of them, it's important. You need to manage that a little bit. But really mm-hmm. what's important is this tableau you're building, the management of these different tracks, you need to leave enough space on that board to keep that in your head for like your landmarks that you might place later in the game, like big tiles that each yes. person starts with. But it, it's really like there's asymmetrical powers. There's these laws you get to pick one every round. They're all very powerful. Um, there's just a lot going on here and it all blends together very nicely. So I'm super excited for when this comes out. We did play a full game of it. You can tell we like it, mm-hmm. but um, when it comes out, we'll, we'll grab a copy and we'll give a full review, but it is yeah, no, I'm, no, I'm really excited. I think this was, and it's hard to say because again, like you said, we didn't get to play too many games too many times as far as like getting really deep. But this was probably the game of the con for me. It it really it it <laughs> I want to say board game terminology. Like it triggered some other things. Like the polyomino city building was really nice. It it had that kind of suburbia feel where based on where certain buildings were with other certain buildings, things would trigger. But that was only based upon what cards you picked up and that multi-use card system as far as like some cards give you pieces, some just give you effects. There's different things to move up, but at no time did anything feel overwhelming. The only concern that I would have about this game, and this would have to be, you know, figured out after multiple plays, is if certain strategies or certain, you know, special buildings just are too much. Because I think we looked through the deck after we played it was like, oh, if I would have had that building and this thing, like, a billion points. And I was just like, mm, I don't know about that. So, but, uh, yeah, no, lots of fun. Great game. Probably plays best at the higher player count just so that more buildings come out and, and more cards. So, yeah. A lot like more a lot. cards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. We'll circle mm-hmm. back to this in a month or two once we have copies in hand. Absolutely. Um, all right. The next one up, also from WizKids, that we got a chance to play. Um, this was like a prototype prototype that's coming out next year is Marvel age of heroes. This is, I don't know the best way to describe this. It's like a dungeons, like a Lords of Waterdeep, but with some more stuff layered onto it and X-Men. <laughs> sure. Right. So each player gets a team of two X-Men and then some number of meeples, which are not meeples. They're like little acrylic standees yep. of those X-Men. So like I had Jubilee and Wolverine, you had 
Gambit and Rogue. Gambit and Rogue. The one of the people are playing with had Jean Grey and Cyclops. It's Storm and Forge, and I think Magic was its own character just by itself. Right, and then Kitty Pride and um, the Dragon. Right, Lockheed. Lockheed, yeah. Lockheed. So you have your player board, and you have these evolution cards that you can play later that give you like special, like asymmetrical powers to kind of upgrade. And you have these three tracks in the middle um, mm-hmm. that'll keep track of these. I don't know. It's blue, yellowing, and red. I don't know what they represent. It was like willpower <laughs> and strength or something. But you know how these games are. It's like Lords of Waterdeep. I need purple cubes. No, you want wizards? Whatever. <laughs> Just give me the purple cubes. Purple cubes, please. But you go to all these different locations and you can play cards from your hand, like um, event cards, or you can put out new actions like Lords of Waterdeep that you own and you get a bonus when people take them. You can play evolutions. Um, you can play to the X jet, which is a future location that'll allow you to kind of go out and fight one of the bosses that is out there. And so you're kind of managing things and building resources and, and growing, I, I guess your strength and your ability to generate these resources more quickly so that you can go and combat the boss. Um, each of the bosses has a certain number of hits they need to take based on a certain combination of those three color of resources. And so you're trying to build an engine that allows you to go do that as efficiently as possible. And that's it. You just cycle through. There's an infinite number of rounds until all the, until you get to the main boss and you knock them out. Um, so you have to go through, like there's two minor ones and then two major ones and then a boss, a main boss. But you could, once you beat a minor, it re- is replaced by a major. And once you beat the major, it's replaced by the boss. So you could just fight three or you could fight up to five. Yeah, it was interesting. It was you know, I haven't played Lords of Waterdeep in several years. I still have it. It's still a game I enjoyed, but I haven't gone back to it in a long time. And so mm-hmm. playing through this mechanic with all like the modern bits and bobs woven in was interesting. Yeah, no, I, I've played Lords of Waterdeep more recently. And yes, this is so much of that in here because you are putting cards or, you know, in, in the case of, you know, Waterdeep, you're putting out buildings here. You're putting out different x-men or or different special combos that you can put out there and then when you go there you get the ability and then obviously there is a bonus for people who put that out there and have their marker there and then as you said anthony there is that whole different kind of mechanic where instead of completing the missions like individual cards you have the big baddies which have a number of different combinations of red blue yellow that you need in order to defeat them or like defeat a part of them because they have multiple different cube requirements. So it could be six blue, six red, two yellow, and then down later it could be 12 blue and three yellow. So you're just like, all right, we all have to do this. We all have to knock it out. We're all scoring points as we go on. And then as you're building down on the fight area where the X-Jet is, then you're able to put cards down there that actually defeat one of those spots on the villain with just a simpler kind of combination. So as the game comes to an end, it speeds up because a lot of those cards are out there. So you're more efficient than you were before. And I have to say, like I was incredibly impressed by WizKids here. Like if you like any of that Marvel X-Men, you know, thematic kind of appeal here, it's here. Like the characters do have some of the 
kind of special abilities that you would think the character should have. So Gambit plays all the cards. Rogue absorbs a lot, a lot of additional powers. I mean, I somehow broke the game. <laughs> Somebody was from WizKids was like, I need to take a picture of this combo because I have to tell the <laughs> that you did a thing. But all the characters do feel somewhat like, you know, it's appropriate that they'd be able to do those things. So I was very impressed by that. The color scheme, the graphic design is is kind of muddled. It is very bright. And especially when you put all the cards on the board, it's kind of it blurs. It's a little bit, it's a little, it's a little much. That being said, we played in a convention atmosphere. So maybe at a normal board game table, you can kind of absorb all those different neon colors and watercolor kind of imagery. But yeah, no, really excited. Definitely we'll play this when it gets out. Maybe pick it up. Yeah, no surprise. I thought, I mean, Marvel games have been bad, great. No, yeah. except, <laughs> except for the LCG that you like. Yeah, yeah. Marvel Champions is amazing. Crisis Protocol is pretty good. Um, but everything else has just been blah. I remember and it I doesn't look th- good because it's like little acrylic standees. And like you it said, does. the graphic design, like the board was like, that's a mess. I was like, um, Anthony, the- is that is, is this game that bad game that no one wants to talk about from the X-Men with the X-Jet, the little standees? It's <laughs> like, ah, oh, no, it's another game. I'm like, ah, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, like- yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. That Yeah, there was another game with the exact same theme. Yes. But it's good. You should check it out. If you like Marvel, check it out. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Next one up, we played kind of we haven't played it fully and we have a copy for review in the future and that's deal with the devil Mm -hmm. this is from cge it is a new four player only uh social i'm not gonna say social deduction that's not right there's some social deduction yeah a little bit yeah we'll get into it but it's it's a euro (laughs) game it's 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 a a, game kids fairly stock euro game that has some hidden role elements to it so Mm -hmm. In the game, one player is the devil. Um, secretly, of course. Everyone is secret. No one knows what everybody is at the start of the game. One person is a cultist. And then two people are normals who, you know, may or may not sell their soul to the devil. Right? <laughs> so your your main objective in the game, the way they put it, is that if you're the devil, you're trying to collect as many souls as possible. If you're the cultist, you're trying to get rid of your soul. And if you're one of the normals, you're trying to manage your soul pieces accordingly, right? You can you can spend them by giving them to the devil to get a bunch of resources if they offer it, or you can keep them and have them for later, right? You are on each of your each of the rounds, you're building out different cards and completing different objectives into a tableau. You have your own little tableau, and you can so you can build your own special worker placement actions, you can build special abilities and cards that give you points and resources and all sorts of stuff. So typical Euro type of things. You have resources that you generate. There's pretty significant income at the beginning of each round based on this wheel at the middle of the table. And then the devil gets a bunch of resources at the start. So they can kind of pass those around as an offering of sorts. Mm -hmm. There's a, the core of the game though, like between each of these like fairly standard Euro building rounds is that you will, put stuff into a secret box, some amount of whatever, set a dial to say what you want for it. And then all those things will be scanned into an app. This is an mm-hmm. app game. It's designed sure. by Marcus Kotri, who designed Alchemist. And then those will be passed around to different players around the table. They'll look at it and decide if they want that offer or not. If they do, they take the stuff out, they put in what, the, what they're supposed to pay for it, and then it goes back. If they don't want it, they just pass it back. 
And so that happens twice. And then you pass them back to the normal, everybody, the original players, and you see if anybody took your offer or not. And so based on that dynamic, plus based on what people are playing, how much they're spending, how they act, you try to deduce who is who. There's a witch hunt round. There's two of them in the game, the second and fourth round, in which you try to guess who you think doesn't have enough soul pieces. So, you know, and it could be anybody, right? It could be the cultist who will never have enough soul pieces. They start with two. It could be the devil who hasn't gotten the three they need yet, or it could be one of the normal people who has already spent one of their souls. If they get caught, they have a fairly minor <laughs> thing that hits them. Mm-hmm. It's not None of these... Like, there's the whole thing is you're trying to guess who everybody is, but none of it's that bad, right? You don't mm-hmm. get hit that bad for anything. And at the end of the game, you don't get that many points if you're successful in, like, guessing who the devil is. But mm-hmm. the scores weren't that high either, so I guess it does have a bit of a swing. Sure. Um, I don't think any of us were super impressed with this game. It's fascinating as a design concept, but I don't know if it quite comes together. I think both elements, and I say that because I feel like both elements kind of operate independently and don't really thematically blend as much as I think the designer wanted to. This is the designer from Alchemy. So there is an app component here, but just as far as just mixing up and selecting as far as the different, you know, hidden boards as far as making the deals are concerned. So the whole hidden deduction thing between the devil, the cultists, and the mortals is interesting. I mean, that's that's a really interesting concept to take you know a euro game which is just generally kind of like taking one resource and utilizing somewhere else or transforming it something like and moving it up to like hey you need those resources how badly do you need them will you sell your soul for them like just that pitch is amazing the game itself beyond that is a just straightforward kind of euro game And that's not a bad thing whatsoever. There's some thematic elements as far as like there's a card that each of us play out and it tells us about like a good or bad decision. And if you can do the good thing, do the good thing. If you can, you know, if you can't, you do the bad thing. But the Euro side of it is not really as affected by the deal making that happens previously because you can get resources just based on the board. You can you can trade with the bank at a high rate, but you can trade with the bank. And as the game goes on, you're getting more and more cards that are giving you additional resources and support. So it's almost like the deal with the devil should be more dramatic and more necessary. But as the game goes on, it becomes, you know, as the devil, you have to kind of give up more and more stuff. Like it's, 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 you know, like it's weird. It's, it's a buyer's market. So, I mean, both elements are good. We need to play this more to to get and see the interplay a lot more to see if it fits. Because I think, you know, maybe in a full five player, I'm saying five round kind of situation, it's more integrated. But as the, the gameplay we played, two elements, both very good, both very thematic, interesting, dynamic. I don't didn't feel it coming together in the game that we played. Yeah. Yeah. What I will say is that we ended up talking about this game for like an hour after we finished playing it. So yes. There's a lot happening there. It's very interesting. It's a fascinating experience, even if the game doesn't 100% work. Sure. Um, and we don't know that yet. We're not, this isn't a review. So we are going to play it more because we do have a review copy. So yes, we're going to cycle back to this 
it'll probably be a little while because it's a four player only game. It's rather long and we probably need to play it a couple times, but uh, at least to kind of get a sense of all, how all that plays out. But we will be circling back to this game for sure. Sounds good. Um, all right. Next one up is much, 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 much simpler. <laughs> My little Evertale. <laughs> Aww. I didn't know this existed, honestly. I And I didn't know they were selling it there yesterday uh, or over the, over the con. But one of the listeners we ran into, they're like, oh, yeah, we picked up a copy of this. I'm like, oh, they're selling it. And then when I got there with my family on Sunday, and we'll get to the, the con, the cool stuff there later. But my daughter pointed, like, from we were still out in the tables coming in from the entrance. And she pointed all the way across. She's like, what's that tree? Because <laughs> Tabletop Tycoon brought a big giant Everdell tree that people could climb into and take photos with. So we went over there and she took the photo and the woman who took the photo was like, do you want to play the game? And so then we did. And my daughter absolutely fell in love with this game. So we sat and played the whole game, not just the demo. It is Everdell. Fairly simply, right? But it strips it down to basics. And I know some of you are like, it's a pretty basic game already, but I'm like, there's a bit of fiddliness with this game that you could remove to make it more family friendly. So you still have the worker placement. You have three workers and you just have three workers for the whole game. Um, there are only seven locations you can go. So you will place them. Oh, there's dice that you roll and those are four spaces. And once those four spaces are gone, you're done, but they're like better. And then you have a space for each of the basic resources you can go to and just get stuff. Um, and so you, on your turn, you place your worker, you get some resources, you can buy a card. That's it. There are the five different suits of cards. So you can get new spaces for your workers. You can get bonuses. You can get uh, abilities that kind of cycle throughout the game. Um, and you can get production, which happens every time you play it. And the game just kind of moves forward very briskly. It's like a 30 to 40 minute game. And my, my daughter turns eight in a few weeks and she picked it up almost immediately. The box says six and up, and that seems realistic. I think if you have a six-year-old, you might have to help them a little bit, but it it flows very smoothly. And we all liked it, too. That's the fun part. It's not just a kid's game. Like She had a lot of fun. She figured it out quickly. My son had fun. He's a little bit older. Uh, my wife and I both had fun. So it's a very small, narrow box. It's only like $30, and there's a lot packed in here for that for a family. So very impressed. It's not just a throwaway, like, we're making a kid's version of Everdell. It actually works well, and it's fun for for both. So, again, I'll circle back to this and review it a little bit later once I'm sure I've played it eight more times with my kids um, and uh, overall. But initial impressions are good, and we did buy a copy because she, she really liked it. Yeah, it, it's genius. I mean, the artwork just lends itself to that kind of gameplay, and it's smart that they were able to make it more appropriate for a younger audience, but not lose or not dramatically undercut the gameplay. So great. Yeah. Yeah. And my son, who again, he's 11. He was like, isn't there a bigger version of this? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I want to play that version. So <laughs> we'll pick up the super complete deluxe oh, version gosh. of it. That's like, I don't know, 30 pounds. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not doing that, but <laughs> <laughs> I have my original collector's edition and I have three expansions and I stopped there and I can't imagine even if he loves it, that we'll ever get past that. So it's, mm-hmm. we're good. <laughs> but yeah, My Little Everdell, surprising and fun. Next one up is Lacrimosa. They had this for sale there. It was in the first look section as well. Now, this is a game that uh, 
I had a chance to kind of play around with before the con as well. So I had kind of a sense of what it is coming in. But it is a game about uh, different composers coming together to help finish Mozart's Lost Requiem. So the the work he was finishing up when he died. Um, So it there's a lot going on here and we will definitely review this in the near future. So I'm just going to give a brief overview, but you have a personal tableau on your hand at the beginning of each round, you have nine cards in your hand and you are going to play each turn. You're going to play one into the top and one into the bottom of the slot for that turn um, on the round. And the one on the top is the actions you're going to take. The one on the bottom is the income you're going to have at the end of the round. You'll do that for four times. So you play out eight cards Every card has multiple uses as a result. So it always has something printed at the bottom for income, and it always has something printed at the top for actions. You can upgrade those cards throughout the game, but you'll always only have nine cards in your deck. Um, and then like action-wise, you'll be moving around the board, um, taking different bonuses across the board. You'll be buying new cards. There's opus cards that allow you to perform. So you can perform things, but you can also sell the piece. And so you get different things for performing or selling. And then there's a composition track at the bottom and then each game will have two different composers that you can work with. And then those will allow you to get different bonuses and upgrades and ongoing abilities and income throughout the game. So it's a pretty solid Euro game from what I've seen. Haven't really, neither one of us has had a time to like really drill into it and put it through its paces with a full player count, which we will do. Um, but so far, very enjoyable. I'll probably be playing it solo here over the next week or two um, based on having learned it. And hopefully we get a chance to play it with a full table very soon. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. It's uh, Devere Games just getting better and better each uh, each year. Yeah, yeah. A lot of fun. Next up, we have Cat in the Box from Bezier. This is a <laughs> trick-taking game. And in this game, you it's regular trick-taking, right? Someone leads with a card, and then everybody has to follow with that card. And whoever has the highest number in that suit or the trump wins the the hand, right? Very basic trick-taking rules. But every card in the game is the exact same color. So when you play it, you have to say what suit it is. Mm -hmm. So there's a track in the middle, and you will take one of your tokens, and you will place it there. So if you play a seven, and again, all the sevens look the same, you have to choose what color of seven you are playing if you're leading. And so what happens is throughout the round, all those spaces on the board fill in. So there's only a handful left. Uh, So you might run out of spaces to play in blue, or you might decide, you know what? I don't have blue. I don't want to follow blue. So you mark on your player board. I'm no longer allowed to play blue because I don't have it. And now you have to play one of the other colors, right? It allows you to jump to the, the Trump suit. The result of this is that you might get to a point where you cannot play a card, right? There's no place based on your hand where you could play a card. And that's called a paradox. If you get to a paradox, you lose points and the round ends immediately. It's clever. It's fun. It adds a, like a really cool wrinkle to trick-taking games. And, you know, we just played through one game of it, but I could see this becoming more complex and there being more to think through, especially depending on who you're playing with as we go. So I went ahead and picked up a copy because I, it, you know, the cat is cute on the cards and the mechanic <laughs> is clever. And uh, I think I'll have fun with it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it definitely adds and definitely plays into that thematic kind of chaotic. It is and it isn't a thing, so you don't have that kind of standard set of cards in your hand. Where like again, depending on the trick taking game you play, like 
these cards are these things. Like I know what these cards can do. And therefore I have a general concept or strategy in mind here. It's very much like you have a seven. Everyone else could have sevens too, but it could be anything. And it's just, it's really an interesting concept and it's adorable. And then there is this kind of really interesting area. I wouldn't say like the area control, but like how the different tokens link up based on where you play your tricks that's different too, based on if you hit the right trick number that you predicted, then you get to look at the little tokens. And the production's really well done. A little on the expensive side for what it is, but a very good game. Yeah, it is a little pricey. All right, uh, so a handful of really quick ones. Um, we played Ouch uh, with our, our friends from the South, Martin and Eric, listeners of the show. Mm-hmm. And this is a, this is from Devere as well. It's a, a game in which you have a tableau of cards in front of you. You pick one that you want, you flip it over. And if your fingers, based on where you flipped it with your hand, if you're touching a cactus, you lose that card. Mm-hmm. If you're not touching a cactus, you get to keep it. And you're trying to build a tableau of up to eight cards and you score points for the flowers and the combination there. Mm-hmm. It was very, very quick. It took like less than 10 minutes. It was clever. It was fun. We get to joke over it. I think it was marred a little bit because we had a little bit of a run in. <laughs> it was getting late and somebody was not happy Frankie. that we were using their table, but they were not very polite with us. But Boo. bad people. Yeah. Bad people. <laughs> Cranky people. Yeah. Like you're at a con. Have fun. What are you yelling at people about? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It was a clever little game. Yeah. No, I think, again, the thematic concept, right? Like the flowers on the cactus and then just. You know, based on how you flip the card over, if you get poked or not. So I think it's very smart. I think it's a very smart game for that. And as you said, it plays very quick and there's some special bonuses in certain cards. It is very much determined based on the cards you happen to, you know, pick up as far as options are concerned. But yeah, no, fun little game. Yeah. Uh, Another game uh, that they taught us was Gang of Dice. This is a Reiner Knizia game. And in it, you will have, you start out with nine dice and a big stack of tokens, and you will have some kind of objective in front of you. But the objective is something you want to not do, right? If you, Yahtzee style, you'll roll the dice, you have three rolls. But if you at any point meet the objective, if you meet the condition that says it explodes, then you immediately lose. Boom. And if at, any, at the end of the turn, if you meet the one with the, the bomb that has not exploded yet, it explodes. So you're trying to win by having the highest total of the dice without exploding. So it was fun. It's like a party style, lightweight dice rolling game. Very Yahtzee-ish. But uh, I think we had fun with this one. I say that especially because I, I won the game. <laughs> yeah, you would you would throw that in there, I guess. Yeah, no, it's fun. I, I like the departure where you're instead of trying to get a particular combination you're trying to avoid different combinations or there's different rules in effect that are keeping you from certain combinations and then there is kind of like almost a liar's dice mechanic where you are trying to you know wager or press your luck by rolling more dice because otherwise you can't win so again smart you know smart game really smart game surprisingly yeah yeah no definitely it was good. All right. So that's all the stuff we like sat down and played like intentionally. There's a couple more games we played that were more experiences, I think. <laughs> I think we'll get into like, <laughs> oh, that's kind of you to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're moving into now like the rest of the con section uh, of this podcast. 
stuff we saw, stuff that was interesting, things that we were just would like to share or we'll come back to in the future. And so the a couple more games that we sat down and experienced. One, they had a huge section just full of crokinole tables mm-hmm. that I'm sure were being used for tournaments at some point, but they when they weren't, we could just sit and play. So we sat and played crokinole and I got to remember how terrible I am at this game uh, <laughs> as you demolished me three times in a row. Uh, so that was fun. Yeah, Cro- I mean, Crokinole is one of those games from a distance. You're like, I would never buy that. I would never play that. Why do we even need that? And then you sit down, you play it, and you're like, oh, no, I get it. It's 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 just there's something so elegant about the design and something so interesting and engaging about the flicking that you don't expect from a distance and you're like, Oh, that's great. Can't afford it. Can't put it in my car. Can't put it on a plane, but right. uh, I really appreciated that they brought it out there. Cause I don't think that you get often a lot of times to play those big, big wooden games. No, no, it's yeah. We were talking about this before the show. Like I'd like to own one, but not until like I refinish my basement and have somewhere to play it, to put it right. Which mm. is like five, 10 years from now. <laughs> sure. And then the other, like, silly, again, it's called a game, but it it is what it is. (laughs) This was in the first look section. We were trying to find something with good table presence that was quick and easy, and we found Ship Ahoy. Uh Uh-huh. And this is a game in which you have three little (laughs) cardboard ships and a tower, and you move them around using this long shoelace with knots in it. And you fire a wooden cannon at each other. Right. And I don't mean that metaphorically. It comes with a wooden cannon that is all rubber banded up. You pull yes. back the thing and it shoots a little black pellet across <laughs> the table. And more often than not, it shoots it across the convention center. It so, does. Yeah, that was a thing we did. It's a ridiculous. Look, there are certainly some games that are all about the toy factor. The wooden cannon here is kind of cute, although it's it's managed by like a crazy number of rubber bands like so tightly arranged that I almost like was more worried that the, the the cannon was going to explode than I was about shooting somebody. But that being said, the cannon cannon is surprisingly effective. So when you pull back and you shoot that little pellet, it goes across rooms, man, it could take out somebody like uh, fun is fun. You know, but like I cannot at any level recommend this because you will either lose all the pellets in one game or you will hurt somebody possibly. I don't know. Like we had to set up like barricades and even with the barricades, people were getting hit. Shots were going like, I don't know, 20, 30 feet. But geez, man, I don't know why that's a thing. It's it's funny because like the experience of going through it was fun sure we were laughing it was ridiculous but the game itself or whatever that was is not necessarily inherently fun it's the i don't know it's, it's a one game. of those hard things like you play it and you're like that was a good experience but i don't know if i could recommend the ex- mechanics that created the experience i don't know like it, it's, it's a time and place kind of a thing it's a game experience it's not a game i, I don't think even the designers ma- meant it to be a game because like the variants in the game are just like put a thing here and put your ship here. And there, there, there really wasn't like, there's not really hard rules in that game either. So enjoy the experience, wear a helmet, wear eye protective goggles (laughs) and try not to hurt your friends, kids. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, All right. So 
that's everything we played, like officially, fully. <laughs> we survived. So. Yeah, we did it. So we wanted to talk to about just like some of the stuff we saw, some of the things coming up. And so like first up, the convention hall itself, right? We mentioned the Everdell tree. That was pretty cool, right? Oh, yeah. No, I, I think their booth by far was the most dramatic, most well done, most perfectly laid out. They had white picket fences. They had a giant tree, which you could go up inside of and take pictures. I mean, just they spent all the monies. Everdell, I guess, is the, you know, the money tree that keeps giving because that section could have been a convention in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was quite the production of, they always have a, they've gotten a bigger booth over the years, but that's by far the biggest they've ever had. Oh, that's incredibly. Yeah. By far. The other big thing that you could see like immediately when you walk in was a Macy's day parade sized inflatable <laughs> Pikachu hanging from the <laughs> ceiling. True. It was really big. And so this was, this was a little bittersweet, right? When we got there from from the media room, we could see this giant Pokemon area. I'm like, oh my gosh, that'll be great. The kids are coming on Sunday. They're going to be so excited. Mm-hmm. You know, Pokemon Lab. Sometimes those card game people are there, but there's not much to do. But it was like a huge, huge space, right? And then quickly I realized, like, that's not going to work. Because within five, ten minutes of opening, the place would have an hour, two hour long line to get in. And I don't know 100% why, like I would jokingly said throughout the convention, maybe they're giving away, you know, promos that people are flipping on eBay or some special prizes or whatever. Maybe it's a qualifier for some bigger tournament. I don't know. But it was clearly not intended for children, right? Uh, And they have to have known that, right? They have to know that there's like grown adults fist fighting in Walmart parking lots over Pokemon cards. So... That's fine, but the problem is, is my seven-year-old daughter, we walk in, she sees a giant Pikachu, she's like, we're going there, and I'm like, there's nothing there for you, which is stupid, right? It's a convention that is, like, with games and toys, there's children there, and I'm not saying to do any of that differently, but maybe also have a couple tables that are just, like, to teach kids how to play, or to give them promos or something, I don't know, I don't, what do I know, I'm just a parent, but... (laughs) You know, my, we couldn't get in there. I don't know how early you would need to have gotten in to get in line to get in there because on Sunday it said the line was capped for the day at like ten twenty. Wow. So again, it's 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 an interesting, I guess, inclusion because over the years of doing packs, there has been more video game content and then less between years. So I was really surprised to see how how big in the in the central presence the pokemon lab was to the to the whole other convention center so i don't know if that's a a good thing or a bad thing or you know a forecast of things to come it's nice to see a little more spectacle in a convention i always like to see that more than not but certainly it creates a different kind of environment and a different kind of cluster of just people like you said just like there was a mob around not i don't want to use the word mob but there was a a, a pretty large ongoing presence of people around there that you just couldn't even get inside. I'd even bother, which is kind yeah. of sad, but no, was, uh, yeah, you had to line up outside. You couldn't go in. You couldn't look at anything. It was disappointing for children is what I'll say. It's, it's, it's just not what you want. Yeah. I think, I think also that they would have benefited from putting that like way. I, I guess Pokemon doesn't want to do this, but like I remember years ago they had a Hearthstone 
like tavern thing for their game. And it was really away and off to the side. And it really operated very well because of that. Yeah. And I think, yeah. like you said, if they would have put it away and off to the side, then they would have had space like for tables. And then they could have done like separate events and things for kids or just like people could have spread out. And I think that would have been a lot more effective than, than just like jamming it right in the middle up front. Yeah. Yeah. It was unfortunate, but that's okay. We found lots of good stuff to do there. Sounds good. All right. So the other big thing that was, you know, like spectacle wise is um, Frosthaven was there, right? We didn't sit down to play it or anything, but you could see the giant box and, you know, put your small child next to it to see how many children can fit inside the box if you want it. <laughs> so big, so stupid big. But they also had on the other side of that, because they had just announced the Gloomhaven RPG, is a photo booth where you could get like a little crown for what your favorite class race character um, from the game. And you put that around your head and you could take a photo with one of like the plastic weapons that they had. That was a very busy. We saw a lot of those crowns around all weekend. It was very good marketing on their part, um, especially with the the new RPG just announced. Yeah, I love the idea of the photo booth. I mean, we, we you know, so much of everything these days is all about, is it Instagrammable? You know, can I do something fun and interesting? And I think people have been doing that for the last couple of years. I know museums have finally caught on to that. So it was really nice that they just took that and, and ran with it. So they had the camera set up with the light set up with the props set up and you could take a picture. And I was like, that's great. I'm not going to do that, but that's great. I love that. I, I really appreciate that because I think that's the one thing that PAX has missed out on for many, many years. Since I mean, at least PAX Unplugged. I'm not going to speak to the other PAX whatsoever, but PAX Unplugged has missed the spectacle and just like the event kind of feel because it's just maybe board game companies don't do that so much, but they don't have like, you know, true dungeon or something else there to kind of give people like a, an experience. Right. Yeah. No, it's funny because you always have some people who are there and then it's like, Oh, I, you know, what is there to do? And like, there's a million things to do, but if you don't want to sit down and play a game, I'm not really sure. <laughs> like, sure. There's, there's panels downstairs. You can do that. <laughs> it is very much like a, a convention of, you know, you're playing games, demoing games, or listening to people talk about games. There's not like, yeah, those big activities. So any little amount of that is cool. All right. So the beyond the convention center itself, there was a bunch of just different games and things we saw throughout the convention center that, you know, are coming soon or that people were buying or that were just, you know, people are excited to see. So we figured we'd do like a rapid fire of those. Like these are not, again, not things we have personally played or some of these we demoed, but not all of them. So just kind of a sense of what was hot and what people were tracking down there. Uh, so first up, Roxley Games had a, a pretty near finished copy of Skyrise there. We got mm -hmm. a, a quick run through of that. That looked pretty cool, right? Yeah. No, great production for a game and just a little bit of an interesting mechanic. Yeah. It's neither one of us backed it because it seemed kind of light, but it, it is very pretty. Very much so. Cardboard Alchemy, which is a new company, uh, is bringing Andromeda's Edge to GameFound. Yes. Uh, I think in January. <laughs> I so, think so. We kind of sat in and we didn't get a chance to demo this. It was just packed all weekend. Yeah. We had two tables of it. But it is, I mean, it's just dwellings of Eldervale in space, right? There's, that's it. That's what yeah. we call it. 
Well, I think that's even... I was surprised because when they walked us through it, that's kind of what they called it too. You're talking about same designers and mechanics and things like that. It's basically the Gaia project. <laughs> so like, I understand this. Like I've seen this before where Terra Mystica, like Dwelling of Elder Vale, was this fantasy theme that was a great game, but was a little weak in certain areas. And then Gaia project came in and was like, hey, how about space? And we'll give you more things to do with the tracks. And that's exactly what this is. And yeah, January 31st, this is going up on GameFound, and I will be backing this. So, Same. Geez. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I got a chance to play it, because I think that would have been the thing I, I would have done from the very start. But nonetheless, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's somehow we didn't realize it was there. And then once we did, we're like, oh, cool. And we went over a couple times and just, yeah, packed, 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 yeah. packed. All right. And another game that we have a copy of again we're going to be playing this soon and reviewing it uh, but we didn't get a chance to demo it yet is starship captains this is the other new release from cge and it's you know legally distinct star trek the board game right <laughs> yeah you, you get you get your crew and your crew can activate different things for your ship to do and then they kind of recycle and come back out and you explore the galaxy with legally distinct kind of fun stuff so very light very colorful very family friendly very cartoony yeah, this is. I'm. I'm really excited. Look, looking forward to playing this. Yeah, me too. It looks good. Capstone Games pretty much sold everything they brought. But yeah. The, the hottest thing they brought was beer and bread. Mm-hmm. This is a two-player only game about beer and bread from Scott Alms. I did pick up a copy because it looked like it was going to sell out, and uh, haven't had a chance to play it yet. But it, it looks very interesting. This was a, a hot game at Essen as well. Yeah. No. It. It was blocked the entire time in the first look section because it was so good and then obviously capstone has been killing it these last couple of years so should be a great game yeah direwolf digital had the expansion for dune which everybody seems to be surprised they had but they brought a decent number i don't think it sold out at least not so. friday and saturday yeah and i saw a lot of people carrying it around so uh, immortality which Hasn't shipped, is not out yet, but they did have lots of copies. They also had copies of the Deluxe Upgrade Pack, which is kind of hard to find. So Mm -hmm. I picked up both of those. We really, really liked Rise of Ix, the last expansion for Dune. So uh, excited to see how this one works. Yeah, it was a good selection, good collection. And they were even showing off their new digital release of Munchkin on Steam. And eventually iOS and Android and other stuff too. So Got like a half a chance to play it. You could see a picture on Facebook utilizing all the original artwork, which is great. And I don't know. I'll see. I'll see when we get a chance to play it, if it really plays as well and as chaotic as the board game plays. Yeah, (laughs) I'm sure it is. Next up, we had Arcane Wonders had copies of Mobile Markets, Mm -hmm. which also still not out. Which yeah. this game has been a long time coming because when we were there last year, they were talking about it coming out in the spring, and it's like almost sure. a full year has gone by without that happening. But they did have copies for sale, like a, a limited number, and it is coming soon. They did it confirm it is coming soon. Absolutely agree. I, I think that's it's it was a lot of fun to play. We didn't get to play the full thing, and the copies that were from Essen. So yeah, at some point this year will be in the u.s release yep queen games had brought all four of the new feld games in the city line um just the classic editions but they had uh, amps 
Amsterdam, Hamburg, New York, and Marrakesh. Um, mm-hmm. And they were selling all four of those at the convention. And then, like, right as we started recording, I saw they put up a Kickstarter to also buy those. <laughs> so uh, you can you can still get them if you haven't gotten in on that yet. We didn't have a chance to sit down, but I think part of that is just we have all these games coming. So we know we're going to mm-hmm. be playing them in the next couple of months anyways. Uh, and Amsterdam and Hamburg, at least, are games that we've already played in different forms. Yeah, no, I was excited to see this. I was glad that they had the the copies there so people could check them out. It's always good to see felt stuff at the table. And yeah, Queen Queen was, uh, you know, running games throughout the whole time. I think everyone was really excited. Yeah. Uh, Smirk and Dagger, uh, our friends over at Smirk and Dagger, we talked to Kurt. Um, they had a really hot game called Boop. It's an abstract <laughs> strategy game about cats bouncing on a bed. It's so... about cats, man. It's, it's, it's always the cats. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just like... <laughs> so... So he said they sold out, and it's the the largest number of games they brought to a convention and sold out of before. Mm-hmm. And I saw a lot of people carrying this around. It's cute. It's small. It was relatively inexpensive. So I can see why it was so hot. Um, my daughter was very excited about it. We played a quick demo, and they didn't have any. So at some point, I'll be tracking this down as well. There you go. Um, you mentioned uh, Plat Hat Games. I didn't actually see this myself. I think I was with the family <laughs> at the time. But yeah. Plaid Hat Games has a new game called Hickory Dickory, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's Hickory Dickory talk, the, the mouse running up the clock. So we're bringing back mice because that seems to be Plaid Hat Games, you know, mascot, so to speak. And it is a big board with a giant clock and the the hands of the clock move and things happen. I don't know. I saw it from a distance. Couldn't get anywhere near it, but people are really excited about it. Yep. R&R Games had... The Dom Pierre, which was on Kickstarter last year. It's a game mm-hmm. about um, monks growing grapes for champagne, I believe. So yes. they had lots of copies of this. This is another one we brought home. We'll be playing this soon. And we'll, we'll tell you all about it. Yeah, it looks really cool. They had a recent Kickstarter and it's got squishy grapes. If you want to if you want to pick up all the expansion <laughs> stuff to it. So yeah, they're yeah. like, hey, we just did this better. Suck it, Tuscany. Yeah. <laughs> Squishy grapes. Squishy grapes. You have coins. We have squishy grapes. <laughs> Endeavor Deep Sea. They had a demo of this setup as well. I just saw this announced recently. It's going to be on, I think, GameFound. Yes. Uh, but it is Mechanics of Endeavor, which we've talked about before, has potentially problematic, depending on how you view it. And But now under sea, without actual people involved, which is good. <laughs> so... <laughs> The same game you love, but without all the problematic colonialism, slavery and stuff. So that's always a good thing. Yeah. Not not a fan of uh, slavery as a mechanic, even if you're trying to make social. Not even a little bit. (laughs) Taking a a hard take there. But uh, yeah, I know our Wisconsin friends got a chance to demo this, too. So maybe we'll check in with them and see what they thought. Yeah. Mind Clash was there. They had lots of copies of Astra, which we played mm-hmm. recently and reviewed. And then they also had a copy of Septima there for a preview. Yeah, I was, expri- I was surprised to see that. Uh, always good to see Mind Clash games there. They always have really innovative games, beautiful designs. Their, their demos were packed throughout. And I did back uh, Septima, so you will have a review as soon as I get my backed copy. Just say, Mind Clash, if you could speed that up a little bit, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> I backed it, so come on. <laughs> Another really cool looking game that like they had a upfront booth. It was like a big giant 
panel. Mm-hmm. So it's very pretty. You could see it from far away. It was um, First Ascent. Um, yes. Kate Ott, the designer on that, uh, looked really cool. Yeah, and it, it's we're talking about a rock climbing game, mountain climbing game, and it had some really significant kind of board game Euro kind of elements to it. So it wasn't just like some sort of gimmicky game. It really seemed had it had a, a solid mechanical base behind it, and just a really interesting thing that we don't see particularly. So you know, check it out. First ascent. All right. And then last but not least, uh, a game we, we actually did sit on a demo for and to, did bring home a review copy of we'll be talking about soon. Shovel Knight Dungeon Duel from Panda mm-hmm. Cult Games. This is a side-scrolling board game in which you go through Shovel Knight as one of the four knights and you take on the different bosses. Um, big old box of miniatures. <laughs> it's, I mean, any good video game transition to a board game, you got to bring over plastic, right? It's got to oh, be... Yeah. It's a bucket of plastic. So, yeah, I'm. I always knew about Shovel Knight, but I never really knew where Shovel Knight came from. And it was interesting and kind of fun to play this game. But uh, I think this is this is something you, you're pretty familiar with. Yeah, no, I've been playing. I did not back the original Kickstarter, but I picked up the game when all it was was Shovel Knight. Yeah, they've since then released three or four like built-in expansions as part of like the Treasure Trove collection. Mm-hmm. I've not beaten all of them, but I've played through with all the knights several times. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I love the little characters. I have some amiibos around the house. Oh, yeah, they're they're cute. Um, and the kids, <laughs> it's a little hard for them, so they get frustrated, but they like to watch the game. So I'm hopeful we can sit down and play this together because they know who the characters are. Um, it's a cute little like eight bit type of throwback, and uh, putting that into a board game, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But what we, what little we did play of it was fun. Excellent. All right. Well, there you go. It's PAX Unplugged 2022 in the books. Obviously, so many of those games that were previewed and were for sale will bring out on future reviews and hopefully get them to the table and hopefully get them to the table with you. So hopefully, again, this whole kind of PAX has been fantastic for you. If you were not able to attend, don't worry. More PAX goodness coming up. And we'll be happy to share all our fun at the table with you. Until next time, this is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Take care, everyone. Bye. See ya.